Well, I, uh, I'm excited about the, this morning what God has for us. Um, my own father is traveling back after a cruise, and I am so thankful and glad that he was able to go with the rest of the family. Um, while we would have liked to have been with them, uh, they understood, and we had things to do. And um, I will just tell you, uh, other than a small, about a five-foot section of a repair on concrete, all the concrete is poured for Woo! the project. So we're done. We're done with that. Amen. And painting is still underway. We uh, uh, certainly can still use help. We're trying to get that done and uh, be thinking about flooring and still waiting for chairs to come in. I think Monday is the commitment. Um, I needled the guy just a little bit about needing those chairs right away and uh, um, uh, just told him, said, hey, you know, there's plenty of chairs to buy out there. We want these, but we got to have them because of the time to clean them. So be ready because I know uh, Joe is heading that up. Joe, raise your hand. I think everybody knows Joe. Um, but just make sure you talk to her. I think about 30 minutes a chair on average cleaning is what we could anticipate. Could be less. It could be less. And so, um, you know, but I'm just trying to give you the scope of 540 chairs. We got some time to put into that. And so come and help. And uh, listen, if you go and tour the building and you look at some of the paint, especially in the bathrooms, just hold tight. Don't, 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 uh, don't go in the women's bathroom yet <laughs> with, a, with a bright light because you might get dizzy. But when everything else is added to it, it it's going gonna, it's gonna to be nice, okay? Um, but uh, we do want you to go by and we want you to start praying over that place and uh, walk walk through there and it's not as much a construction site anymore i mean we got paint and some stuff going around but you can walk through and you can pray so i, I want i want our church to begin to really um, believe for that to be our home uh, not just assume it is but just start to go when you can and, and walk through and right now there's not locks on the door don't advertise that but we're <laughs> that's coming soon and then we'll hide a key and you'll know but but uh Right now, you know, because there's not much in there other than painted walls, we haven't locked it. But just um, be praying. And, and we already had a family stop in. Suzette was telling me a family with a 16-year-old daughter stopped by. And I'm not sure how we're connected or how they saw it on Facebook. But they've been watching the progress on Facebook. And they just were excited about what's going on here. And they planned a visit. And um, just wanted to, they said it just, they felt like it was a beautiful building. And, and so, um, you know, just by... Just by uh, the excellence that God has uh, empowered you to, to help bring to that building, which is a tool for ministry, that will draw people. Um, that will draw people, and so we're excited about that. Uh, we, we will quickly, I'm trying to get to landscaping, but I, I'm wanting to go to the city here in about a week and just ask for some changes on our landscaping plan, so that's why I went bought stuff and got ready, but we'll need help with that w as well. Remember the tree? Did I tell about the tree that has been the big debate, you know? Well, there's a tree that city planted, and it's been kind of a year-long thing of it's been in the way of our drive and everything. Well, we finally moved the tree, and we thought it was going to die. But um, one of our RVers told us that life was coming back to it. And so for those of you that prayed about the tree, um, but it was a tree that was actually planted on a property line. We didn't find out later, and we weren't haggling about that. But um, anyway, uh, a certain person in the city was just really uh, expressing their desire to make sure that tree lived. And so we've done what we can <laughs> to make sure the tree lived. Um, well, I, I want to get into the message today, and um, this is, um, while I'm excited, it's very difficult for me because I still like I'm, I feel like I'm still learning to be a dad, and I am, you know, uh, the boys just turned 12 uh, yesterday, and so, <laughs> so they are now 12 years old, they are getting ready to get into the teen years, and there's going to be that rite of passage of going into 
uh, being uh, you know young men, um, still learning, and can think of many mistakes I've made and uh, many victories. But one thing I've realized is that God was preparing me to be a pastor long, long, long before we ever had new song as a church. And the way I see that is is because I see what has happened with our children and our boys, um, especially as as exceptional, but not as bragging rights for us. But but God has done something. We we saw at an early age and felt God's hand was on them in a special way, and so we knew we had a reverence for that. Very careful in how we um, were bringing the boys up. But God, I believe, took took strong care with Jen and I, and in, in how. He led us to lead the boys and, and Lily too. And because of that, I realized, you know, when God births something, when God births, births something, um, he always has a plan for it. And when he births something, he not only has a plan for it, but he has a specific way in which that plan should come about. And so we never really know until down the road with our children what God was doing or what God was planning but it re- made me realize as being a pastor in the Old Testament would have been the, a priest that um, there are concepts about priesthood that are not only applicable to the Old Testament church, if you will, but to the New Testament church and to us as men on this Father's Day. You know, the posture or position of the role of priest was to serve as a mediator between God and man. And it's interesting, the inspiration, uh, some of the inspiration came of the message. As you know, I listen to a lot of different ministers, and sometimes I get a whim to listen to somebody I never listened to. And I'm just going to tell you, no offense to anybody, I never listened to T.D. Jakes. Never. I mean, I don't think until this week I'd probably listen to one whole sermon of T.D. Jakes. Nothing against him, just hadn't, okay? Really, other than what you might get from news media or other people tell you, I don't know anything about T.D. Jakes other than that. But as I listened, there was a, a, a message he gave about a uh, priest of the home that really grabbed my heart, and it began to counsel me on what God was really doing, not only in my home, but in, in the church. But you know, the priest was really to be a conduit or a line of communication for men to access God, because when man fell and sin entered, there was a separation, a great divide between man and God, and even communication, and so in the tabernacle, there was literally a place where only God's presence resided there. And there was a priest that could go in there and no one else could. If you went in there and you were not the priest, you fell dead. In fact, the priest, to make sure that they were uh, right with God, women, they would tie a rope and bells around their legs. If they stopped moving for a long time, ding, ling, 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 stopped a long time, then it was pull him out and get another priest, right? And so when you begin to understand that it becomes very significant for you to realize that God had a purpose and a plan, and he always has for that role of priest. In, in New Testament, even when we moved to New Testament church today and pastor, even though I don't want to be called priest, we don't call our pastors priest, but the role much in itself is the same, with the exception of now that we've had the, the veil torn, and we can all enter the presence of God, is that you don't have to have me to communicate with God but I am still there as a shepherd to help lead you that way. And so when, when sin tore down fellowship between God and man, immediately God instituted the priesthood so we could communicate with him. It was an immediate thing. And, and the first priests were called the patriarchal priests. And unlike in the Catholic church where, where priests and, and 
And, you know, I don't know that much about the Catholic uh, uh, faith, but I know that, uh, you know, priests in certain sense, they're not to be married. They don't have kids. And so, but these were patriarchal priests. They were fathers. And it's un- important to understand this because this means their first assignment of priest was to be the father of the house and to serve as priest over his house. Before he could go be a priest over the people, he had to first be a priest of his home. So it was his responsibility to make sure that the people in his house were connected and in fellowship with God. And that uh, continues through the whole history of Israel. They referred to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why would you refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Have you ever thought about that? It'd be like if I just thought so much of Ken, you know, and Nathan and Johnny. I said, I worship the God of Ken, Nathan, and Johnny. But see, that's not what they're doing because it wasn't a Ken, Nathan, and Johnny. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were looked at as the forefathers, as a father role. And so they literally referred to God of the heavens through their fathers. Now, why was that? It's because their fathers were the ones who knew God first and the ones that introduced them to God. That's who they learned about God through was their fathers. It's not the way God intended when your father, when your father doesn't know God. See, that's the brokenness of sin. When a father doesn't know God and have relationship to him, then, then that's where the brokenness happens in the family. It's hard on a son when the father doesn't know God because now uh, sin enters so easily into that relationship. It's, even, it's hard on the daughter. It's hard on the mother. Maybe even the hardest on the mother. But when God got ready to start worship, he didn't start worship in the church He started worship in the house. And when God begins worship, he doesn't start with the mother, but with the father. And we see that in Scripture. And he begins it through a role called the patriarchal priest. And Abraham does it, Isaac does it, Jacob does it. And the first thing men would learn was how to worship God. See, that that was the strength of of the relationship with God is because at the very beginning, at the birth of of the son coming into the family, the father taught him how to worship God. And I think we're teaching men lots of things. You watch advertisements and we're teaching men lots of things, but we're teaching the wrong things. Because somewhere along the way, the church has lost its grip on the overall influence of, of society and advertising and all these things and all these influences and all these messages we send to men and men get a very strong message very opposite of what God intended and that was for us to first learn to worship him and so we're teaching them things that don't matter they marry very little to who they are and so they spend all their youth doing things that are not profitable and they think that's a sign of a real man. And, and, but the very first thing that makes you a real man is to know who the creator is. I have a shirt that was given to me. It says, real men love Jesus. And, and it's, it's you know, bold letters. And I've worn it before and I thought, well, I wonder if I offend non-believing man. Like I'm saying, you're not a real man. You know, and, and maybe, maybe so. But the truth of the matter is, if God is our creator and our designer and he created men to, to be... Uh, leaders or priests of the home then truly you can say with all authority that you aren't the real man that God planned you to be if you aren't worshiping him the very first thing that makes you a real man is to know who your creator is and the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom that means 
that we stay dumb until we realize, we stay uninformed, we stay unknowledgeable until we realize that, that, that God is our creator. Now this becomes very significant to understand that when you do it, you, you do this, when you begin to worship God, it changes and you understand that that's what men were meant to be and that's what the role of father is. It, it changes what real manhood is and how it is directly tied to turning yourself over to God. That, that a man that is completely surrendered to God, it, is no more, it, it cannot be any more of a man than, than when he does that. When Moses begins to slay the lamb so that Israel can escape through Egypt, remember when the, when the death angel was supposed to pass over, right? That's, that's where they get the celebration of Passover. They were to slaughter the lambs and put the blood over the doorposts. And it was Moses calling to the fathers to come slay the lambs to do that. He, he told them to do that. And he said, he calls for the men and says, let every man kill a lamb and a lamb for every house. It wasn't the women, it was the men. It was the men who went out to slay the animals and put the blood on the doorposts. And each man, as the provider for his house, knew his house was protected and covered by the blood of the lamb. It was his responsibility. Not just providing money to live on, but he provided for the spiritual well-being of that house because it's the spiritual life that's really life and death matter. You know, so many men confuse that and they'll think, you know, I've got to worry about my job first because I've got to put food on the table. But, but they're thinking in the temporary mind. They, they aren't thinking the fact that, you know, I just read about some close friends of ours and, and uh, missionaries, Brad and Glenda McMath, that they had some lifelong friends from when they were youth pastors in Huntsville and a family lost their daughter and she looked like a young teen, 14 years old. And, and from all sounds, it sounds like they're great Christian family and and she's a believer so praise God for that but can you imagine the father who put all his focus in providing for the financial and the things and all those things thinking he did that and that was more godly than leading his kids to be in church all the time being strengthened by body following the word of God and then to lose that child and realize that all that mattered nothing because he didn't tend to the most serious life and death matter and that's the spiritual life And so as men, when we're called to be priests of the home, we have to realize that as much as it messes with our temporal mind, we have to put everything else aside when it comes to the spiritual matters and say, nothing else matters for my child other than leading them to the Lord because God will provide the food, he will provide everything. But if I ever let that become less of a priority, then I run the risk of losing them forever, for all eternity. So, Each man had to slay the lamb, put the protection over. And you'll never have true revival in the house or the church or the city or the country or the world until you start with the men. Because it's proven statistically that that believers of of Christ, that when the husband or the father, the, the head of the household, comes to know the Lord, it is much higher likely that everyone else will come to know the Lord in the house than if the mother comes to know the Lord first or a child comes to know the Lord first. You know, the neighbor's family, those two twin boys, Danny and Daryl, led their dad to the Lord. But that is the exception, not the rule. They came to know the Lord first and then led their dad to the Lord. 
Now, I'm not saying it's all the men's fault for what is wrong in the sinful world. There are women who are leading families and churches and cities and countries away from God. We know that. There, there are powerful women who are, are taking their hand and leading uh, this nation and our homes away from the Lord. But what I'm saying is if you want to turn the whole house around, you get the man to know the Lord. It's well known that if you get any stubborn animal by the head and turn the head, the body will follow you know that? You know, you know the whole purpose of, of that bridle they put on a mule is because that mule is stubborn, right? But you put enough torque on that head, and guess what? The mule's going to go where it wants to go. See, I'm, I was thinking I'd get the ladies a little more engaged and laughing at that because, to, no. And the enemy knows this. Do you know that a boxer, one of the most important things a boxer learns about its stri- his striking is that the head is the important shots because if you keep pounding on that head, eventually everything else under that head will crumble to the floor. If you can, if you can disorient and, and, and cause dysfunction in the head, then everything else follows because that is what leads the body. And that's why Satan will attack pastors the hardest sometimes because he knows if he can knock the head of the body down, the shepherd down, then, then many others will follow. But when a man is turned around, that wife, most generally, if she truly loves him, will begin to follow that direction as well. It becomes very difficult to, to be a helpmate to a man who is not going anywhere. There, there has to be a purpose and a direction. And, and really, I would, I would tell you that if it's not a divine direction and a divine purpose, then it is going nowhere. It, it's going to lead to emptiness. And so, you know, it's like the, the lady saying, how can, I, how can I help you do nothing? Trying to find a, follow a man who is not being led by the Lord. I'm second in command to nothing. My job description is to help you go nowhere. So, so God wants to deal with the man first. And he wants to deal with him by giving him a vision. He wants to deal with him by causing him to know who he is in the kingdom and be able to do what he is called to do by plugging him into the Father from the very beginning. And where there's not an earthly father, the Father, or Jesus wants us to plug into the heavenly Father to let, that be, let him be our example. And so... When you begin to see this priesthood, you begin to see worship. Because if that doesn't happen, how can you teach your sons what you don't know yourself? If you don't know the Lord yourself as a father, how can you teach your sons to know the Lord? It's why we've often said we've had uh, folks volunteer to do ministry in the church who we know have not made a, a commitment to follow Christ, but they they, they love what's going on. They want to be involved. And that's happened before. And I've had the discussion with others say, look, you know, it's one thing to go serve um, meals to the needy and, and you don't have a walk with Christ and you're working along to see what a Christian does to serve. But in a teaching ministry, if someone's not fully grounded and connected and we can see a vibrant relationship with the Lord, then what good does it do for them to try to teach something which they don't live out themselves? I mean, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And especially over our children to give someone reins to teach that, that doesn't live as a Christ follower in everything they do, say, and teach. One of the biggest struggles for a pastor is, well, I'll just tell you, even social media or anything where you start, to, if you start to see glimpses where a heart might not be 
in the right place, and then we're doing ministry together. I remember years past having someone who was in a higher level of leadership with us in, in New Song uh, blasting out against someone on Facebook, and it became a deal breaker. I said, we cannot do that. You cannot profess to love people and want to follow Christ and want to lead them to Christ who you know who he is and what he says is, and then say hateful things to people openly. How does that make sense? How, how are you going to lead people to Christ if that's, if that's your mode? It doesn't work. You can't do it. You're, you're doing something in name only to try to fit a mold and, and make yourself feel better all the while bringing destruction to, to a body. And so the enemy is going to hit at the head. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, the pastor or the church board or whoever it is. He's going to hit at the head and try to turn that head and get it going a different direction. And if he can get in your heart and make you say things that are contrary to being a follower of Christ, he's going to do it so that he can turn that ministry around and cause destruction. And many times what happens at church is we all think we're an island of ourselves. That when we leave here, that we're on our own. And, and men especially, we, we compartmentalize. This is my job life. This is my home life. This is this life. And that's where the enemy starts talking in our heads and say, when I go home, this is a different environment. And when I go to work, this is a different environment. And when I'm in church, that's a different environment. So I say certain things and do certain things at church. And then I say and do things at work because I'm around different people. And then I'm at home, I'm around different people. So I say things. And I compartmentalize. Not just men, but we do it. But God has called us all to be to be a royal priesthood. Not just fathers, priests over the homes, but all of us be a royal priesthood. And when this generation thinks of worship, they think of church. And I'm talking about multiple generations. When I say that the people that are alive today in church, when we say worship, automatically, what do you think of? Church. But worship needs to start in the house. It needs to be incorporated in and as part of your life, like this patriarchal priest who first had to make sure that his home was following the Lord, who had to make sure that his home was in order. It needs to be incorporated as part of our life. There's no need to be living like the devil all week, coming here on Sundays and Wednesdays and trying to play catch-up. That's why I learned in my life that I need to listen to worship music often to crowd out. When I get tempted to do something I shouldn't, I listen to worship. I refocus my heart to God and realize that that is where I want. Uh, folks that never think of li- listening to worship or letting worship into life during the week, they always struggle in their walk with the Lord and always feel defeated and less of a Christian than others. They may never admit it, but that's what they feel because they've not become disciplined in devotion to worship. The Bible says, early in the morning I will seek thee. It has become part of who you are. All the time. 24-7. Worship starts in your living room. It starts in the car. It starts on your way to work. You may not be called into full-time ministry. You may not have a specific title in ministry. But your first calling is to be a worshiper and a leader of that in your home. And men, you're called to be the priest of your home. They didn't need chairs in the tabernacle. Because there was no place to sit down. The father, the heavenly father was insatiable. He wanted praise continually. And the priests were always going back and forth in the tabernacle worshiping. And so the worshiper 
should understand that worship is not something you come and do on Sundays and Wednesday nights only and do for 30 minutes and feel like you paid a, a bill to God, but more, more so like the married person. I've used this example. If you came home to your spouse just on Sundays and Wednesday nights, gave them a kiss, told them for about 30 minutes how great they are, and then disappeared from the relationship for the rest of the time. We have a scheduled time every week for this compartment of our lives, and for our marriage, it is Sundays and Wednesday nights for 30 minutes. Think about the people who don't even make Wednesday night a priority in their marriage. And haphazard on Sundays. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I don't know if I'll step on toes. Let me ask you this. If that becomes a habit, do you think that during the week they're probably living victorious for the Lord if it's hard enough to just be consistent with a committed time to come worship the Lord in a community of support? Other things become their worship. So we're, we're going to see in, in, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 4, I mean, chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, if you want to turn in Genesis. And this one, I'll make easy for you. Just start at the beginning of the book. Genesis chapter 4. Now listen, right now there might be a little bit of heaviness, thinking you're getting, I'm, I'm hammering on dads here. No, we're getting ready to find out the uplifting part of Father's Day about what is uplifting about this celebration today of Father's. We're going to see the restructuring of the family because when Adam fell into sin, everything in his family fell. That's a backdrop to the story, uh, to the the few verses we're getting ready to read. Eve offered the fruit, right? But Adam took it. And so the Bible says, it doesn't say that the fall happened when Eve offered, it's when Adam took the head of that home when the head falls, everything under it falls. Satan didn't have to worry about getting the children. He got the father. And once he got the father, everything else in the house fell. He didn't have to get the children. He just had to get the father. The Bible says that creation fell when the man fell. So now we have this fallen family. And out of this fallen family, guess what happens? The very first case we see of this, but, but a murderous spirit comes in. Now, look, we're not talking about, you know, petty theft. We're not talking about, you know, because we rate sins, you know, how we rate sins. But we're not talking about the little white lies. Have, well, the little white lies where Satan was feeding those. But, but the first thing that entered this family was a murderous spirit. And so this murder broke out in the family and dysfunction in the family will start with sin. It doesn't function right because sin keeps you from reaching your intended purpose, which breeds dysfunction. When you don't have use of God in your life, when God is not using you and you're not working for God's purpose, remember we talked about what idle hands breeds a brawling spirit, breeds a brawler. When, when you're idle, we hear devil's hand, uh, idle hands of devil worship. Well, when you're not in use of God, guess what happens? It opens a window for abuse. Abuse in many, uh, in many ways. And when abuse is allowed, it brings anger. And some of you may still be angry because you were raised in abusive homes or you've been in abusive relationships. It makes you angry even though it's now a quiet anger. But when it's suppressed, it comes out in rage. Or it may come out in drugs. Or it may come out in crime or chaos. 
or abuses of power so he can rise to a position to abuse others like you're abused or in different ways. But Cain and Abel, Cain rises up, kills Abel, a murdering spirit in his heart, and the whole family is in a mess. But God, here's, here's the hope, but God blesses Eve to give birth to another son. His name was called Seth. The name Seth means appointed. It means that God appointed a rescue for this family in the birth of this son, Seth. He appointed a chance. Abel, the good son, is dead. Cain is this outlaw wandering the planet from now on, has brought shame, has brought curse on the family, but God brings a generational blessing through Seth. Genesis 4, 25 and 26 says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. Verse 26, To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Now this last sentence, if you underline in your Bible, you should underline this. Because this is really pivotal for all of us. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That last sentence is very important because, because not through Cain, who is running for his life, an outlaw, a criminal who started a lineage of wicked and ungodly men, but through Seth starts a family generational blessing. And so the Bible says Seth begot the, the son named Enosh, and then men began to call on the name of the Lord, which is a priestly function. They begin to pray and reach out to God again. And, and let me tell you something. Nothing is going to change in this nation, in this city, in this church, or in your homes until you begin to humble yourselves and call on the name of the Lord. This is the priestly function. That is, it, it is the core of being the priest of the home, men. Is that if you are not regularly calling out to the name of the Lord, you're not doing your, your role that God has called you to do. And what did we say happens when you're not being used in the right way for God? abuse oh i don't beat my kids i don't beat my wife no there's lots of ways for abuse to come in abuse of power abuse of many things but abuse comes in they begin to pray and reach out pray and, re pray and reach out are you hearing what i'm saying if you're calling on your own strength or on your own resources, you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to do what God has called you to do. And as long as you're calling on other people to help you to do it, you're not going to be able to do it. You have to first call on the name of the Lord. And so you're going to get angry. And, and maybe you say, I will never have a murdering spirit. But you know what? Every person that murders probably thought that at one point in their life. I would never murder someone. Or I would never do this sin. Or I'd never go that far. But let me tell you something. Sin is a slippery slope of small bad decisions that lead to the bigger ones. And, and so when you call on other things other than God, you begin, uh, but, but then you turn around and you begin to praise him and you begin to reach out to him with a different attitude. Once you understand that that's your role, that's the primary purpose of your role is to call out to God for your family. And if you're a single mom today, you say, what does this do for me? I'm a single mom, and dad was no good. I'm, I'm on my own now. If you're the head of the household, then you become the priest of your home, and you begin to intercede for everything under your jurisdiction. 
everyone who you have influence over, whether they're blood relative or adopted or foster or whoever they are, if you are a single mom, then you have to step in that role and step in the gap. Uh, the book of Jude says, Michael dare not bring a railing accusation against Satan, but rather choosing, said Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. It's not your own power. It's not your own power that you rebuke the, the enemy trying to get in your home. It's under the power of the Lord. So whether it's a father calling out on the name of the Lord or a single mother, it is still the powerful name of the Lord that rebukes the evil spirits. When it comes down to the rebuking of Satan, if there's no man to lead, you have to stand in the gap. And me and Jen do it together. It's not a matter of that's my role, you don't do it. I call out on the name of the Lord for the family. But I lead them to do that. I lead them in it. So God begins to establish these priests and he begins with what uh, you do and not what you say. Uh, they begin to call on the name of the Lord. It's not about what, what they thought. And, and here's what I challenge you in worship. That's why I say you need to be vocal. You need to be bold in, in your statements to the Lord. It's not about meditating in your head about the Lord. When you come to worship, it's not about uh, just pondering great thoughts about the Lord. They were calling out on the name of the Lord. As priests of the home, we have to understand who we are, what our role is, and that is to call out as if we are in battle because we are for the very spiritual lives of our family and those we have influence over. That is the importance of the priest of the home. So in the fourth chapter of Genesis, they start giving... God what he requires and one starts offering up the fruit so if we back up a little bit to the story of Cain and Abel you know the whole issue was that Cain brought a fruit of the ground and Abel offered up the blood of animals which was much costlier you've got to wait you know you know you got to wait for those little baby lambs and goats and cows to grow to be of much value right Whereas fruit, there can be so many on a tree and it just seems to come so much easier. But, but there is hard work in feeding those animals. It's not just a matter of it rains. and They didn't have water hoses back then, by the way. They didn't have soaker hoses. We need some of those. You know, sprinklers. You know, the fruit of the ground was really provided for by God. What, what did Cain really have to do to bring the fruit? Pick it. You know, that's what we get excited about in church when we get to go pick the fruit. It's, it's the tilling the ground. It's the planting seeds, those things. That's the hard work. But picking the fruit is, is fun and easy, and you get to eat some of it, right? But those animals are nasty and stinky and stubborn, and you've got to work hard with them and feed them and get the food for them. And, you know, there, there's, there's much more to that. And so he brings the fruit of the ground, and, and Abel brings the blood of the animals, so he kills that hard work. And you know, if you don't ever kill your animals, you end up having more and more and more. So the more you have to bring as a sacrifice, the harder it is to keep growing that livestock. But, but that fruit falls ground, the seed goes in the ground, and next thing you know, you have another tree. See, he says to Cain, who is now angry because God has rejected his offering, his worship, his false praise. God says, if you doest not well, would I not receive you? And God's saying, I'm not a respecter of persons. Cain, it's nothing personal that I disliked you from the beginning of your brother. It's your actions. And some people get confused and think God just has something against them. 
because things don't go the way or they don't feel like he's pleased with them. And God's just saying, no, it's by your actions. It's the motivations of your heart. That's the issue. That's causing the separation. Don't you understand? It'd be, you'd be in the same standing with Abel. I'd be blessing you. It'd be great if you'd just come with the same heart of worship that Abel did. But I'm a holy just God, and I can't just let you get by with not doing your best because I've created you to be excellent and something not happen because of it. God is a respecter of principles, not persons. And sometimes there's certain principles that apply and principles that transcend persons. And if you operate in the principle, regardless of who the person is and what they think of you, you will begin to use, he'll begin to use you in spite of what other people think of you. That's one of my biggest growing points as a pastor is I had to get to a point where I, yes, I care as a concern, as a compassion, what people may think or say, but in the end, if it conflicts with what God's called me to do or tries to hold me back from doing what he's do, I have to say, well, God bless you on your way. And others don't understand that. Why don't you chase them? Why don't you do this? In some instances, God's saying what they expect of me would cause me to have to stop doing with the same intensity and the same excellence of what God's called me to do, and I can't let that happen. I can't let a person stand in between the excellence I bring to God as I try for it. I can't cater to their needs if their needs don't line up with God's will for me. Anybody hearing me today? You, you know, sometimes we get so worried about whether people are going to say, whether we're going we're gonna to dance in the aisles, shout, whether we're going to go out and serve the Lord, or what, what might be thought of us, and and it doesn't matter. It only matters what God's told you to do and everybody else can pack sand in a loving, compassionate way. Tell them to pack sand. <laughs> but listen, that's one thing. My father's not here today, but I learned from him. There's times when I was younger, I thought he might have been kind of harsh, but now I realize in, in older years, he was determined to fulfill what God's, he's had people say, pastor, I'm going to run you, preacher, I'm going to run you out of town. And I've heard the story many times. And he said, well, God called me here. He hasn't told me different. If you think you can do it and you're right, then good for you. But if you're going against God's will, I'll pray for you because you're about to go the hardest road you've ever hoed in your life. And that's true. Cain found out the hard way that when people come against you, now listen, I'm not perfect. I can be annoying. I can, I'm a human. I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting on some pedestal, but, but God has called me to do something. And, and listen, it's not about the person, but about what God's plan is because it's for the good of all of his people for the whole body and so when you come against the role of a of a a advisory team member or a a teacher in in the church or the pastor and you come against that and you don't have good standing for bringing right biblical correction you haven't gone through the right channels God gives you but you just oppose or you just make things harder or you just uh, are, are defiant or whatever it is listen you're in danger of what Cain was in danger of is letting some kind of spirit come in that is not going to, you're a Christian, you're not going to be possessed, but you'll be oppressed. You'll find your head getting pulled and turned and your body following. And whoever's attached to your body, sometimes people leave a church mad and they pull people with them because others let them attach to that, that body and let them be their head instead of who God has called to be the head. That's the stuff a good child is made of when they stay certain of who they are in God and they keep following it. A good child is made of that because they start to understand who, you're, who they are in Christ and 
they have to stop all the excuses and start being who you are and who you're meant to be and proclaim that I am what God says I am and I will do what he has called me to do with authority. And that's why we, we loved, it was cute, but it was also powerful when the boys, even a little younger, they go to the playground and, and there's one little girl that said she didn't believe in God and they chased her and chased her. It's like, you've got to believe in God. Now, Jen and I hadn't told them, you chase people or you try to force them to believe in God. It was your birthday yesterday. It's okay. You can get picked on a little. You know, we didn't teach them, but, but the, the zeal for the things of God had grabbed hold of their heart. And see, when God begins to mold you to be a priest of your home or those you have influence, that there should be a zeal and a hunger to do it with everything you got. No matter who says what, no matter what does, that's who I am in Christ, and I'm going to live it boldly. I'm going to do it out loud. You know, there's also this inner court and outer court of the tabernacle, and there's this holy of holies in the Old Testament. So there's a structure we see of how God wants us to function to bring us into his presence. Now, as Pentecostal believers, and sometimes we, we like to think of structure as killing the spirit, but, but we see in God's character and nature that there is structure here. God is saying to him, there is a place with me that brings you closer than everyone outside that place. There is a place to move. And Moses began to discover that place on Mount Sinai. That same place is illustrated in the tabernacle, and there's a place closest to his presence. Remember when Moses got into the cleft of the rock from, from the place, and that place he was able to see the glory of God, the presence, the power of God, when he got in the cleft of the rock? What ultimately we want to see happen as priests, we want to be able to go in and out and function in the presence of God. We want to be able to function in the presence of God always. Now there are two types of priests. If you, if you remember from Scripture, there's two types of priests. There's the Levitical priests and that function in the outer court and, and the temple, and there are the high priests that uh, went into the Holy of Holies. And, and without getting too much into it, the Levitical priests, they weren't going to inherit land. They inherited the tabernacle. And so the tithe went to them, and that was their inheritance. And so they didn't just keep all the tithe for themselves. They were able to, to help build the tabernacle and, and take care of the tabernacle, make sure everything around worship was taken care of. But that was their role. But the high priest went in once a year, and he went behind the veil for them, and everything had to be just right. And so even in the Old Testament, they had order. You couldn't just go anywhere you wanted. You, you had to know that that was what God had called you to do. And, and so... So what happens in dysfunction in families sometimes when there's a husband there, when there's a father, and he's trying to lead spiritually. And Jen and I watch this so many times. But there's a strong-willed mother who doesn't maybe like the way the husband's leading or, or doesn't really appreciate that he's trying to do this for God and tries to always overpower. We remember a couple one time that it's like the husband could not even speak. He couldn't get a word in edgewise. I mean, just get run over. And you know, we could never see them get total victory in their lives because things were dysfunctional, out of balance of what God had called. The husband wanted to lead spiritually, but the wife had usurped that role and said, I'm going to be the one who says this. This isn't a chauvinist thing. This is scripture. I mean, that's what God had called him to do. And you know, the kids, you could see the same thing in the boys and the girls. The girls regarded the boys as kind of dumber than them or, or not as capable as them. 
And, and so things were just out of function the way, way God intended. And, and again, again, we saw that. And so many times we said, said, we at one time said, we've got to have some kind of family ministry because we're seeing this so rampant. And, and, we, and we would pray over those families. And then all of a sudden, and no, Ken and Shelly came. We prayed. No, I'm <laughs> but but we've, we've seen that. And so God has a principle. Remember, he's not a respecter of persons. It's not a personal thing like God saying, that the ladies aren't capable because obviously in a in a home where it's a single mom she has to step into that role and God will empower and equip her but the way he's designed it we can fight that all they want but he's not a respecter of persons he's respectful of the principles he's created there's certain things you can fight all you want and you'll keep fighting it and you'll be miserable because of it or your family won't function to the best of what God has for you because you fight it To get through that veil, you couldn't just be anyone. You had to be the high priest. Even in the Old Testament, they had to have this order. So don't get mad at the church because they have order and you don't in your home. Go home and get some order. Men, you have to be strong and say, look, God, I may not do this perfectly. I'm trying. I'm always open for some counsel privately for my wife, not in front of the kids. You know, for us to get this figured out, you can help me. But at the end of the day, these children in this house, they have to see me stepping into that role as priest of the home and lead by example. And if you don't have order and structure, you have chaos. So people hate order because they have never had it in their lives and they just had chaos. So it's a challenge for mothers and fathers to say you need to work together to work within the roles that God has created for you. You know, Jen's a stay-at-home mom, but we never had a problem with her working too. We just made a decision on our parenting that we wanted to homeschool. But that's not looked at, we don't look at that that's better for you or better for other people. It's just for us, that's what the Lord led us. But she was, at one time, we were competing to see who would make the most. Yeah, I came to Walmart first and she started out more than me and it aggravated me. So when I got a raise, like, ha-ha. And every time she'd end up getting more later. I'm supposed to be the provider. So you know our machismo. It messes with our machismo. We're supposed to be, especially if we've been raised like I was. I'm supposed to be the higher earner. But that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. You know, we confuse those things. Being a priest of the home is not that you're you're got your thumb over everybody in the house or your wife. That's not what being the priest of the home. Being the priest of the home is being that meek shepherd. Not weak, but meek shepherd that says, I will love you with everything I've got. I will lead you every chance I have to the Lord, closer to the Lord. And when I see things starting to stray in our home, I will come with compassion and say it. I won't yell and stomp. And, but you know, sometimes men, we have to raise our voices, right? You know, we see times when kids are ruling the house. And I simply say, I'm on the phone. You hush your mouth. Right? You have respect. When dad's on the phone, you hush your mouth. Right? I'm still being the priest at home. I feel, I feel perfectly righteous in doing that. Because if I don't train them to learn when to be quiet when the Father speaks and to be respectful, yeah, work on you, Easton. <laughs> but if I don't train them up to know, to have respect for when the Father speaks, do you think, do you think for a moment that when they go to pray to the Father, they'll ever stop and listen? Or will they just talk at God? Will they talk over God? Well, they expect their mother to lead them to God. And their father doesn't have a role. The father just puts the bread on the table. And that's where the disrespect happens. He goes to work. Mom runs a show. Mom tells us everything about God. She's our spiritual leader. Everything about it is around my mom. 
And guess what? There's something there, a weakness in that family that because there is a male there, there is someone God's created to be the priest of the home and he's not being allowed to be it. And I have seen the beauty of my parents. I'll talk about that a little bit. There is a brummet temper. But I will tell you, my dad always got the last say. But I also overheard the conversations where mom gave her opinion away from our kids. I wasn't supposed to be hearing it. And guess what we end up doing? What mom wanted. She gave him the respect to lead and to be the priest of the home. But she had his ear all the time. And I never saw, I, I don't remember my parents, you know, fighting in front of us kids. I'm at disagreements, but not like, you know, fights. You know, just stuff that was minor. Wasn't a big deal. Wasn't a spiritual stronghold. It was just because we're human. But, but that was such a blessing to me. And now when I see something opposite of that, or opposite of what Scripture teaches us, there's, there's like, there's this stabbing <laughs> you know, it feels like it's stabbing me to see that. And my heart breaks for families because sometimes it's not that they're all messed up. It's just that they aren't living God's best for their home. The dysfunction is not obvious to them because they're getting things done, because the bills are getting paid and jobs and the kids seem happy and they have stuff. But that's what we've been talking about in worship until we really let loose and, and, and get ourselves aside and not be prideful and, and let the Holy Spirit lead us to worship however we want, how will we ever know what God really intended for us to be as worshipers? How will we ever know until you totally surrender everything? Before we close, I just want to draw your attention to you. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the little boys, loaves, and fishes? You know what I didn't really think about is Remember when we've had a couple hundred people here for Christmas and we try to feed them in this building, you know, and, and you get, and if you don't have tables and chairs, and there's a lot of organization to that, right? And Jesus breaks these bread, and there's 5,000 5, people. Did you know that the, the disciples sat them down in groups of 50s first? Did you know that? 5,000 people, that's 100 groups. You got a handful of disciples. These people are probably hungry. And when you're hungry, and then all of a sudden disciples are like, okay, you, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, start counting 50 at a time, you know? Jesus brought this order and structure, but a miracle had just, is happening, right? And we confuse sometimes that God wants to bring your miracles through order and structure. He, he does. We've, we've got to shell this idea somehow that God is this haphazard God that just willy-nilly flows through the air and just zaps people just indirectly, just whatever. He is a God of order and structure. Otherwise, why do we need church? Why would we need to be here? If, if you're an island to yourself and however God moves is just you're the authority on that and, and you just let it happen and it's just a big party waiting to happen. Heaven, you see how he's structured. The ones that are crying, holy, holy, holy. You see how everything is structured. God has order and structure. And who are we to start proclaiming that our order and structure is above his? And so men, we cannot allow in our homes for us to sit back and let someone else be the priest when that's the order and structure God has called us out to be. And we have to stand strong and say, this is who I'm called to be. I may not always feel it. I may feel like a failure sometimes. But if I don't step into this role, if I don't make a valiant effort, then things will be broken in my home according to God's plan. And in, in church, if we, don't, if we don't follow God's order and structure for how we happen, things will be broken. Churches close at rapid rates these days. 
because we've got this idea that somehow order and structure is bad. And so when people come to be a part of something, it's like I always equate, why is it so appealing for men, like be a firefighter when you're a little boy, firefighter, policeman, military man, right? Now, how many little boys, when they're just first starting to understand jobs, says, you know, I just want to, I just want to be something, but I don't really want to have a title. I don't really want to belong to anything particular. I just want to make money, right? The structure and the order and the discipline it takes to be in those roles, they realize from early age that is something that is, uh, that is praised and is elevated because it takes discipline, it takes sacrifice, it takes something greater to be a part of that, and that's what draws people in. And so God has created in his kingdom this order and structure for the home that men are to be appealed to. And we're supposed to be appealed to to that order and structure. And the truth of the matter is, is you remove sin from this world and everyone would fall in love with a family unit with a man as the head because that's God's way. Feminism and these things that are attacking that and shows that depict all the dads as stupid. You don't think that's an attempt of the enemy to turn the head Some breakthroughs and some miracles that you're waiting for will never happen until you get some order in your home. And listen, if you're here today and you've got a spouse, especially if it's a, a mom that has a spouse that's not following the Lord, this isn't a message of, of destruction for you. This is a message of hope that, that God can turn things around. God can also grab a hold of the head and turn around, but you have to step in that role as intercessor. You have to pray and get others praying. And your church body, the men in that church body need to stand strong with those single moms and those moms who the husband is not leading spiritually and say, we will pray with you. We will pray for you. We will continue to intercede that God will change. And we've seen time and time again when we commit to pray that truly God can turn a home around. Did you know that there's a certain fire that came from the altar and that was the only fire allowed into the Holy Holies to to, to be the source in there. And it talks about you can't bring a strange fire in. You can't bring a strange fire in. And, and, and this is where I've said many times that many times we're running to other sources as our fire. I'm going to run to my people on Facebook. I'm going to run to, I'm gonna run to uh, this author of this book. I'm going to run to this. Instead of running to the source of the, of the flame that will ignite your home, and that's Jesus if the fire didn't come from the altar, they couldn't use it for the priestly duties. And dads, you cannot, you cannot carry some other message, some other fire. You, you can't be teaching your kids about a, a Republican and, and conservativeness and think that you're doing the Lord's work. You teach them the word of God and the gospel because there are no strange fires allowed in God's presence. Only from the altar of what Jesus did on the cross. So I wanted to share with you, this is another one of those odd messages where I give you my points at the end. Because the direction that God gave led them through the priest, led them right into the very presence of God. And so, number one, becoming a priest starts with a devotion to worship. There had to be a point when men answered the call to be priests for the people who could not be priests. Number two, becoming a priest is followed by bringing discipline and structure. 
Number three, becoming a priest is followed by an openness for a new identity. Men, you have to be willing to be called by a, a new name. You have to be ready to be called by the name God is calling you to be. Not that old man, not that old person. Becoming a priest is followed by a drive to reproduce kindred identities. And that means when you raise your children, when you raise those foster kids, when you raise those adopted kids, when you raise somebody else's kids because the parents passed, whatever it is, you have to be an intercessor, a trainer, a discipler of those that God has put you priest over. And fifthly, becoming a priest is followed by a resolve to shepherd, to be a protector, to realize that there is no greater life or death situation in the spiritual life. And we're going to bow our heads and, and, and pray for a moment. And then we have a gift for the fathers that I'll need the advisory team members to come forward for. We have some anointing oil that we want you to have because the Bible calls on us as elders of church. It calls on the leaders, the priests, to anoint those with oil and pray. And so we want to pray over this oil and have you take it home with you, dads. I want you to get in the practice of praying and interceding for your family and anointing them with oil. And watch what God does as you step into that role as priest of the home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just ask right now as we, as we close this service, God, with the, the praying over and handing out of this anointing oil that each dad here and single mother, Lord, those that, that have stepped into that role of priest and, Lord, that you're leading them, that, God, we would just, that, God, we would take seriously the life and death nature, the spiritual life and death nature of the role you've given us Lord, help us to lead by example. Help us to lead as priests of our home. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could have the advisory team members come through here. And then after we pray over this uh, anointing oil, I just ask any dad in here, would you just come and and, uh, we just form a line here. And we're going to pray over you quickly and uh, hand you a bottle of anointing oil. just place our hands lord i just come to you and believe with uh these leaders lord that right now lord that you would just bring blessings over those as they use this oil lord to to represent the role you call them to you as priests of the home god you empower them light them up god let them bring a fire lord from that altar that just would ignite their home for you god we just pray you'd strengthen them lord fill them with your spirit in jesus name jesus name amen so I can have any fathers here if you just come up and we want to present you with this. Amen. 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 Men, I don't know, I'm not in your homes, but I know that there's always this temptation that when uh, your wife or your kids say, you know, I've got a headache or I'm not feeling well or I've been discouraged to just uh, to say, you might step out and say, oh, I'll pray for you. And they're like, oh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. We... If we don't ever get in the culture the, and, and the uh, role of priest, if we don't break that barrier, then, then it just doesn't happen. So single moms, those of you that are priests in your home, don't let that be an excuse. I would just say when they say that, say, you know what? Let's pray anyway. Let's pray anyway. Because I would rather us go to the Lord together than to, to have that opportunity and miss it. And so just continue uh, to continue to step in that role. We love you. God bless you. And have a wonderful Father's Day.